Hey guys, welcome back to the Toxic Mom Podcast. This is week three trial recap from the Derek Chauvin trial. As we know, the state and the defense both rested last week. The state rested on Tuesday morning and the defense rested on Thursday. The state called its final three witnesses, which included Dr. Jonathan Rich, a cardiologist from Chicago, Seth Stoughton, I hope I'm saying that right, use of force expert from Florida, and Philonis Floyd, George Floyd's baby brother. Dr. Rich talked about the heart and did a breakdown and gave the jury everything they needed to know about a healthy heart. Then he went into discussing someone's heart, such as George Floyd's. If you remember from the autopsy, he had some extensive narrowing of his arteries and his heart had to work a lot harder than someone without that type of issue going on. If you remember, Dr. Baker said, with all that was going on with George Floyd, with the police, the restraint, the compression, his heart just gave out. Dr. Rich was brought on because he reviewed the materials from the autopsy. He reviewed information about George Floyd's heart. And he came to the conclusion that although he did have issues, clearly, was no evidence he died of a primary cardiac event. So that backs up what Dr. Baker said that the fiasco that went on with the three police officers all holding him down at different parts of his body and him struggling to breathe contributed to his heart having that sudden PEA or pulseless electrical activity. Seth Stoughton, I don't know if I'm saying that right. He was brought on to discuss the use of force and he spent a lot of time researching the Minneapolis Police Department's use of force criteria and He looked at testimony from Lieutenant Marcel and Sergeant Blackwell and the chief of police and formulated that the use of force that Derek Chauvin used that day was unnecessary. And his exact words were, no reasonable officer would have believed that was an appropriate, acceptable or reasonable use of force in regards to what he saw George Floyd being exposed to. He had an interesting cross-exam with Eric Nelson and I felt he was throwing questions at him that just were not relevant to what he was there to do. And at times the testimony seemed confusing He was confused. 
And I just don't think it was really effective. He got his point across, though, that, you know, in all his years of training and all his years of being a use of force expert, this just did not add up to what should have happened that day. He stated, like many others, there should have been some sort of de-escalation that happened. And we know that did not happen. Philonis Floyd testified on his brother's behalf to give us an insight of who he was, what kind of person he was, what he liked to do, his bond with his mother. And it was very sweet and sincere. And it was quick, but we expected that. They showed pictures of him from various times of his life. When he was a child, there was one picture of his mother holding him while he was sitting on her lap sleep. He looked about three or four in that picture and showed pictures of him from high school when he uh, played basketball and even into college. And it was just very sweet. And he got emotional on the stand as expected. And, you know, it just was a very nice ending. Although he wasn't the last person to testify for the state, it was just a nice way to conclude everything and lump it all together. So then the state rested Tuesday morning, as I said, and the defense started right away. The defense went right to the 2019 arrest that the judge allowed to come in in certain aspects. Before that arrest was played, the jury was told that this is not a video for you to judge George Floyd's character. This is just to see that there's some similarities between the event from 2019 and 2020. This was a whole different set of officers that responded to this traffic stop and George Floyd was not driving, he was on the passenger side. And the sergeant that was there that day was the first person to take the stand and they played portions of the video. And one thing I noticed off the bat, it was eerily similar to how Thomas Lane approached George Floyd Sergeant Creighton came up to the car with guns blazing, very aggressive tone, very aggressive mannerism, yelling. George Floyd was saying, please don't shoot me, similar to what he said. Well, the exact wording he said to Thomas Lane on May 25th, 2020. But, you know, he was following all his commands. He told him to put his hands up. He put his hands up. He told him to put him on a dashboard. He put him on a dashboard. At one point, he even took George Floyd's hand and put it on the dashboard for him. I guess maybe he didn't think he was moving fast enough. And then he told him to put him on his head. So it was a lot of back and forth. And the sergeant was on the stand and said the situation escalated fast once he started getting cross-examined. And if you watch the video, it really only escalated because of the mannerism and the demeanor of the sergeant, not really anything George Floyd was doing. But in the midst of that, 911 was called and the paramedic that responded also took the stand. She was very brief with her testimony. Uh, Nelson was limited to what he could and could not ask these particular witnesses in regards to that event again because the judge had stipulations. So she just got on the stand and just said, you know, she arrived, she noticed how he was behaving, but she said he was able to answer her questions. He was coherent. He wasn't yelling or anything. 
He had a very elevated blood pressure and she recommended that he be transported to the hospital because it was very high. He told her that he did abuse Percocet. So of course the defense got that part in. They really wanted to show the jury that this man was an active drug user. And that was pretty much all of her testimony. And he was taken to the hospital and released a few hours later and he was never arrested or you know, brought up on charges from that event. And, you know, he walked away alive from that event, even with his very high blood pressure and all of the other things going on, he didn't end up how he was on May 25th, which we all know what happened. Then Shawanda Hill then took the stand. She was the passenger or she was in the back seat of the Mercedes that George Floyd was driving on May 25th. She was brought on uh, as the defense really wanted her to say what she did say, that he was not able to be aroused at some points because they were speculating he took drugs. But one thing she did say, which I don't, I don't know if the jury caught was that he stated to her he had worked all day and he was very tired. And she did say that, you know, right before the cops showed up, he got back in the car and, you know, he was dozing off. But and as we saw, as soon as the cops arrived, you know, he was alert and up and, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. And, and so that was that. Her testimony was to the point. And then Peter Chang took the stand, which threw me off because I was not aware that there was a fifth officer on the scene. He was the officer that showed up and his body camera is the one that we saw that caught the interaction between Maurice Hill, who pled the fifth and the judge allowed him to invoke his fifth amendment privileges and Shawanda Hill, he was the one talking to them while they were on the sidewalk. He really didn't want them to go over to see what was going on with George Floyd. You could hear Shawanda express some concern. She saw him struggling with the police and she made a comment that, oh, he's probably going to get arrested now because he's not listening stuff to that effect. But they really weren't allowed to go over there and really see what was going on. You can hear from his body camera the commotion that was going on. You can hear some of the bystanders yelling. Like 25 minutes of body camera footage from Peter Chang. And the one thing that stood out to me was he never called for backup because apparently these officers are trying to say that the bystanders were giving them a very big problem and George Floyd. And that's why they really couldn't do what they needed to do. And this is how and why George Floyd ended up deceased. But, you know, he never called for backup or anything. And the state brought that out when they did their cross exam on him. And he just felt like the four officers had it under control. So that was that. And, um, the last two witnesses were pretty interesting. We had Barry Broad take the stand. He was the use of force expert that the defense found, and he was a paid expert witness. And you had Dr. Peter Fowler, who was the final witness for the defense take the stand. 
And it was very interesting exchange between Barry Broad and Dr. Fowler when it came up for their cross-examination. Barry Fowler is a retired police officer who acts now as a use of force consultant. So he was brought on. He watched some of the footage from May 25th. He read some of the things that were given to him. And he came to the conclusion that Derek Chauvin acted appropriately under the circumstances because George Floyd was resisting and the crowd was causing a distraction. I could not wait for his cross-examination because it, it was very riveting. And there were some interesting things he said during his cross-examination, and I'll play two clips for you from what I thought was very, very odd that he said. So Stephen Schlesinger did the cross-examination on him, and it took a while. And you could tell he was enjoying himself because the cross was going so well. And Barry Broad, even though he remained stoic on the stand, he didn't express any emotion like some of the people did during cross-exam. His body language never really changed. He was giving one-word answers. But even though he was doing all of this, the, the, the state got what they wanted and needed out of him. So here's one clip of something that he said. The prone restraint here was one that would not be likely to cause pain. Are you? It could cause pain could cause pain, did cause pain, correct? I don't know if it caused pain. I'm saying it could cause pain. Did you look at the autopsy photos for those submitted to you? No. And so you didn't see the bruises on this man's shoulders? You see that? No. You didn't see the bruises on his face? No. You couldn't use your context clues to determine that somebody trying to lift their, their body up with their face against the pavement, that that would cause pain? It would cause pain, wouldn't it? Lifting the face up off the pavement? That's right. Not necessarily. No, using your face to lift your body up off the pavement. That would cause pain. Oral That could cause pain. Okay, so the prone position has been a topic of discussion in this case because we now know for people that didn't know, when you are laying on a very hard surface, such as concrete, which George Floyd was, and your hands are behind your back in handcuffs, this really does not allow your chest to expand how it's supposed to for proper gas exchange to occur. So what he was trying to get out of him was that there's a possibility that when you're laying in this position in the condition that George Floyd was laying in, this could have possibly caused pain. And he was, you could hear that he, or you can see that he was trying to wiggle his way around that, but he really couldn't because he saw the video and he saw that he was saying he was in pain. He was saying his face hurt, his back hurt, his stomach hurt. He couldn't breathe. He's calling out for his mom. And 
Barry Broad had really no choice but to admit that, okay, it could have caused George Floyd pain. And you heard him say that he never looked at the autopsy photos. He never even really reviewed the Minneapolis police use of force training material. He admitted he didn't even watch the testimony from the chief of police, from Lieutenant Marcel and from Sergeant Blackwell, the three people that know the use of force training and the expectations of the officers on the street. The only testimony he watched were from the two paid experts that the state paid, which was Jody Steiger, who took the stand about a week ago, and Seth Stowington, the gentleman from Florida. He didn't watch the testimony from the three people that, and to me, really mattered because two of those people, Sergeant Blackwell and Johnny Marcel, directly trained Derek Chauvin, and they said on the stand that this is not something that they train on, and this is not something that Derek Chauvin should have done. And Sergeant Blackwell, if you remember, said she didn't even know what kind of improvised position Derek Chauvin was in when he was on top of George Floyd's neck and at other times on his on his arms. So he seemed like he took a substantial paycheck from the defense, but he didn't really do a lot of footwork to prepare himself. And here's another clip that I thought was very interesting. So I'll play that. The defendant did not alter the level of force that he was using on Mr. Floyd, did he? No. Even though Mr. Floyd by this point had become, as you put, compliant. Fair? More compliant, yes. Well, what part of this is not compliant? So I see his arm position in the picture that's posted. Right. That, you know, a compliant person would have both their hands in the small of their back and just be resting comfortably versus like he's still moving around. Did you say resting comfortably or laying comfortably? Resting comfortably on the pavement. Yes. At this point in time, when he's attempting to breathe by shoving his shoulder into the pavement. I was describing what the size of a perfectly compliant person would be. So attempting to breathe while restrained is a being slightly non-compliant? No. Yeah, so that went on. That's how his testimony and his cross-examination went. He was very, he really didn't seem that he cared. He seemed like he was there because he was paid and he had to show up. It was obvious he didn't really review the material. So I, I don't know what the defense, I would have loved to know what the defense thought of this once Steve Schlesinger got done with him. I can't imagine Nelson feeling good after watching that and it coming out that all of these things such as the autopsy report were available to him. He just chose not to look at it because he didn't feel like he needed to. And he was just pretty adamant that what he saw on the footage that he did see, 
it was um, justified. So then it brings us to the final witness, which was Dr. Peter Fowler. He is a medical examiner originally from South Africa, got most of his training in South Africa, came over to the United States in the early 90s, completed training with the American educational institutes and took tests to get license and all that going so he could practice his his form of medicine here. And he went through his credentials. He has a pretty extensive amount of knowledge on medical examination or forensic pathology. He uh, has taught classes, he's written papers, and he was paid by the defense to review the autopsy that Dr. Baker did. He also was given footage of the event on May 25th. He reviewed that. And he said on the stand that the case was very complex. So what he did was he outsourced it to a forensic panel, and I believe they were based in New York, and it was not one or two people, it was quite a few people who reviewed the material. I don't know if they were reviewing it on his behalf or did he think it was just so much that he needed to outsource. But then it came back to him for the final analysis and then he put his input into it. And here's another person I feel that really didn't do a ton of legwork for this, but he was a little bit more prepared than Barry Broad was because there's certain things that he agreed with Dr. Baker's findings, but he said in a nutshell that George Floyd's death to him was undetermined because there was just so many layers to it. You had the law enforcement sitting on top of him. You had him quote unquote, resisting. You had him taking drugs. You had this extensive heart problem. So he, I guess in a way, was saying if it was his case, if it was the body that he had to autopsy that day, he would have listed as undetermined. So here's one clip of testimony. This is how it started. And this kind of gives you a feel for how it went for the hour or so that he was up there. Jerry Blackwell, did the cross-examination on him and he went in immediately. So here's a little bit from the beginning of his testimony, his cross-examination rather. All right, Your Honor, counsel, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Dr. Fowler, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. I'd like to say I have a few questions for you, but I have more than a few uh, this afternoon. Uh, let me just start with some basic questions, just by way of sort of background of yourself as an expert witness. Uh, do you agree that as an expert witness, you should be objective, fair, and impartial as best you can? Yes, I would agree that that's appropriate as best you can. Uh, do you agree that in the background research you do to testify, that you should be thorough? Yes. And meaning you should do your homework before you arrive at your opinion. Fair enough? Yes. 
I asked that question in part because uh, you asked a question about Mr. Chauvin's weight. And, and you understand that the relevance of Mr. Chauvin's weight to this case is how much weight he was putting onto the body of George Floyd beneath him. You understand that, don't you? Yes. You told the jury that Mr. Chauvin's weight was 140 pounds, didn't you? That's the information that I was provided, yes. Where did you get this information provided? From counsel. Uh, did uh, In the information that uh, was provided to you, uh, were you not told that Mr. Chauvin was wearing equipment? That was not considered as part of the process. I agree with you, Counselor. Right, so, <clears throat> you know he is wearing equipment, though. He's a police officer at the time, right? Absolutely. And so you didn't factor in the weight of his equipment that was also on the body of Mr. Floyd. Is that true? That is true. Okay, so that was pretty much how his cross-examination went with Jerry Blackwell. One thing that Dr. Fowler brought up that most likely wasn't on the minds of too many people was a possible carbon monoxide exposure because George Floyd was placed in the prone position on the ground right near the car's exhaust pipe. So Dr. Fowler introduced in what he thought might have also contributed to George Floyd's death. Um, it was very, very bizarre and a little bit outrageous. Um, sorry about that. It just threw the whole thing off, which led to the events that took place on Friday, or excuse me, Thursday. But I'll talk about that towards the end. We're almost finished here because it, I'm going to wrap this up. So carbon monoxide was brought up and... You know, I don't know if this was on the minds of other people that have been watching this case. I don't know if the jury, any of the jury members were kind of thinking this, but it was brought up and it was more of along the lines of very bizarre. And I don't know why the defense wanted to sort of introduce, but again, they're trying to just show that everything else that was going on was the reason that George Floyd ended up deceased. Not because of the, the restraint, but because he took drugs, he was possibly exposed to carbon monoxide, and he had a bad heart. Everything else contributed to him dying except for Derek Chauvin. So there was another part of the case that I thought, or the testimony, Dr. Fowler gave, and I saw this coming because Jerry Blackwell sort of took his testimony he gave on direct little by little and really kind of boxed him in a corner. And I was really waiting for him to bring this up and he did. So I'll play this and we'll just briefly chat about it. The actual death, are you uh, suggesting that though Mr. Floyd may have been in cardiac arrest, there was a time when he may have been revived because he wasn't dead yet. Immediate medical attention for a person who's gone into cardiac arrest um, may, re may well um, reverse that process, yes. Do you feel that Mr. Floyd should have been given immediate emergency attention to try to reverse the cardiac arrest? As a physician, I would agree. 
Um, are you critical of the fact that he wasn't given immediate emergency care when he went into cardiac arrest? Yeah, as a physician, I would agree. Okay, so there you have it. Once he said that, I, I just said there's just no way um, that the defense was going to kind of be able to come back from that. I think throughout this trial, the state did a very good job of showing that in addition to this egregious use of force, there was a time where George Floyd's heart stopped because you could hear Thomas Lane saying he has no pulse, and you heard Derek Chauvin say, eh, EMT's on the way. At one point, the other two officers suggested maybe turning him over, and Derek Chauvin just would not let up. So Dr. Fowler, in his own way, sort of proved the point of the prosecution that he just totally neglected his police training. He's a first responder, and he's trained to give care until the appropriate people arrive, which would have been the paramedics, and he just failed to do that. So um, that was how the defense ended their case. They had an expert that was supposed to come on Thursday, but all of a sudden that didn't happen. And I think that after seeing how Steve Schlesinger and Jerry Blackwell handle, handled their two paid experts. Nelson probably figured, I just need to probably stop the bleeding because there's nothing I can do to patch up this wound that's already been opened. They would have done the same thing to whoever this expert was, and it just wouldn't have gone any better than what had already started happening. So that brings us to Thursday morning where this sort of jaw-dropping moment happened and the judge shut it down immediately. And I actually agreed with him on this. After Dr. Fowler's testimony, apparently Dr. Baker was watching. And let's go back to this carbon monoxide situation that was brought up. And the state sort of ran with it because Dr. Baker allegedly contacted the state, or no, he contacted the Hennepin County Medical Center to try to confirm if there was any testing done on George Floyd's carbon monoxide levels and surprise, surprise, apparently there was. He then contacted the state. The state then did what they needed to do. And Thursday morning, they tried to get it submitted as new evidence and the judge shot it down immediately. The judge was not happy. And he was not happy because he felt it was sloppy work on Hennepin County for not disclosing all of the evidence that they were supposed to disclose when they were subpoenaed for all of George Floyd's records on the day of May 25th when he was brought into the hospital. And the defense thought it was a little shady. They didn't say that, but you could tell, you know, this is brand new evidence and we were just notified uh, pretty much that morning 
that the state wanted to walk it in. So the judge did not allow it to come in. And I'm very glad he did not allow it to come in because it would have been very easy for him to call a mistrial, which he threatened to do if their rebuttal witness, Dr. Tobin, brought it up that there was some new labs discovered. So Dr. Tobin was was the state's rebuttal witness to try to smooth over the edges of Dr. Fowler's testimony the previous day. And the judge again said, if Dr. Fowler even hints to the jury that there's some testing that was done, then he was going to declare a mistrial. And I was I was happy. People were upset, but you have to just really look at the big picture. When a substantial piece of evidence comes in like this, and the defense made a good point, you know, there was a possibility that carbon monoxide was going to be brought up because the state apparently knew that Dr. Fowler was going to say this in his testimony. Because you have to remember, witnesses are prepped months and months and months before And both sides kind of have an idea of what's going to be said. So instead of the state sort of saying, hmm, let's just sort of dig up to see if there were any carbon monoxide levels tested, for whatever reason, they did not. And who knows, did they not do that because they thought they had everything in their in their records because Hennepin County was supposed to submit everything or did they kind of hold off and kind of want this jaw dropping moment? And it didn't work. It wasn't allowed to come in. And I'm not kind of buying that Dr. Baker didn't know that these tests were done. That part didn't pass the smell test with me. It's like I said before, I've always thought that Dr. Baker was slick and it has nothing to do with his work. He's very skilled. He's very talented. He's very knowledgeable. He's spent a lot of time getting to where he is, but his comments back in June of 2020 that he made during a deposition where he stated that George Floyd, if he was locked in his room by himself and no other contributing factors were found and he got George Floyd's body and with the amount of fentanyl in his system, he would have declared it as an overdose. I don't think he should have made those comments. And I think he knows he shouldn't have made those comments because of how he acted on cross-exam. And so I thought he prematurely made that statement. I don't think a statement like that should have been made at all, but who knows what kind of pressure he was under to, he was the the one that would have made, made or make or break this case. So he was under a tremendous amount of pressure, tremendous amount of pressure. So, but those comments I feel he shouldn't have made. And, um, A lot of people had issues with what he said in the autopsy report, but at the end of the day, they have to list certain things. And you heard what he said. They list the main cause of death, but then there's always contributing factors that go along with them. And the contributing factors for him were the drugs and the heart, but he made clear that that was not the main cause of death. The main cause of death was the law enforcement subdual and restraint on top of the neck compression. And so Dr. Tobin got on, did his rebuttal. It was very quick and sweet how most rebuttals are. He did not 
talk about lab tests. He brought up the word lab tests and there was an immediate cyborg called and everybody was getting nervous. Was he getting ready to declare a mistrial? But that did not happen. And he ended his testimony with um, a little bit of cross-examination and out the door he went. And the jury was notified that this was the end of the case. And on Monday, April 19th, closing statements will start and they will then get the case. They are going to be sequestered during deliberation. So the judge advised them to pack a bag, hope for short, but pack for long. That's what he said. So now just after we hear these closing arguments, the ball is in their court as to what they're going to come up with when, when they do make that decision. I'm not going to speculate of what I think is going to happen because sometimes we all do that and things just don't go the way we thought it was. The state did a great job putting on their case. The defense had a very hard mountain to climb and it was evident with the only two days were for witnesses and then the final witness was totally canceled completely. So that is that, guys. If you want to send me an email, like I always tell you to do, and I do read them, the toxic mom podcast at gmail.com, and we will chat soon.